Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everyone, I'm John Verhoeven and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son I'm an author and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics my time as a firefighter and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Last week, Dad and I delved into the beginnings of the story of Ivan Milat, the man who was convicted of the backpacker murders back in 1996 in Australia. Now, we didn't actually delve into what made Ivan Milat the man that he was. He ended up dying in prison aged 74 years old over at Long Bay Correctional Centre in New South Wales, but he did terrible things pretty much his entire life. People often say that the upbringing of a criminal shapes who they become later on. Hell, that goes beyond criminals. On today's episode, we are going to look, unfortunately, at Ivan Robert Marco Malat, born 27th December 1944, died 27th October 2019. Now, Dad, Ivan Malat was a serial killer of the highest order, and he did incredibly bad things, but Today, we're going to look at who he was as a person, just to try and, you know, understand a little better. I'm not going to applying a, I'm not going to go applying any compassion to this, of course, because, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. he, he was evil, frankly. But I think it might be really, really useful to try and pick apart who he was and what, what you know, what happened to him as a kid. Funnily enough, just to start off a little bit lightly, Stefan Marco in adverted commas, Stephen Malat. That was the father. Okay. Yep. He was born in 1902, which is mm-hmm. a, that's 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 a long time ago. And he married an Australian woman with an unfortunate surname, which, and I just sort of a bit of touch of brevity before we sort of delve deeply. But her surname was Piddleston. I I that's a funny name. Can you imagine if the murderer's name was Ivan P. 
Hiddleston. The Malat sounds a lot more, it sounds a lot darker. So that's your takeaway here is that he chose the right name to murder people by. <laughs> Paul. I'll grant you that if someone said the Piddleston murders, I'd think, okay, it's either rude or it happened in a very small, quaint British town. Mm, agree. You know, Piddleston on Smythe or something. Oh, I love it. You've got a, you have a touch of uh, something, rather. You have a touch so, of something. Paul, get ready for this. I mean, what would you describe in today's sort of t- times as a big family? How many kids do you think? Like, Christine and I yesterday, yeah. we saw a family with four kids. I could you- see three of them and I thought, that's a fair whacking number. And you but, thought that's a lot of... That's well, then I saw one of the kids was concealed. Right. Not concealed on purpose. Just happened to be behind one of the parents. And then right, I, they, weren't, they weren't in a holster under a jacket or no, anything. No, no, no. They weren't okay. sort of, you know, in a, in a, in a sack. Um, and then I, I realised that they had four children. <clears throat> now, they were shopping mm-hmm. um, at Hague's Chocolates and... The sweet little kids ran up and chose the biggest chocolate fish. And the mother said, no, no, you have to get the smaller fish. I then weirdly uh, went over to the family and and sort of directed my conversation to the children and said, kids, make sure you buy the biggest fish. And then I just walked away. That was my input. But I thought four kids really is, is unusual in this in this time, don't you agree? Well, I know a guy who's got six children and look, I'm a bit of an environmentalist. I think the economic environmental impact of having more people um, is, I don't, I don't love it. I think it's an, mm. I think it's a pretty intense thing to do to the planet. It's a can, can of worms, this topic, Paul, but of course let's it just is say, you should, you, yeah, of course, but, of course. But, but Ivan Malat was the yeah. fifth of 14 children. Fuck me. Okay. Dad, that's a that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. He um was very bright. And as we've mentioned before on many a podcast, the jails, the penal institutions around the world mm-hmm. have got a lot of people in them that are highly intelligent. You know, with, with, with massive IQs, obviously. Can I ask a question about that? When you say smart, what are you basing that on? Okay, well, there are two types of smart. There's yeah. an intelligence. And there's a cunning, be, right? And there's a street smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I have dealt with a lot of crims over the years. Mm-hmm. A lot. I've yeah. interviewed numerous criminals for lots and lots of different offences. Yeah. And one thing I did glean is that a lot of these people that appear to be... Uh, now, let's sort of move the white-collar crime to one side, but people that have been involved in some heavy shit, yeah. you know, members of gangs, um, when you actually meet them and, and sort of in an interview situation, it's that a lot of them are really, really... that They know the system. Okay, that's one could argue that they just know how the system works. They know what's going to happen during a record of interview. But... As we're going to find out in sort of future, in the future with this story, Ivan Malat was described by some of the people in the prosecution, including the judge, yeah. as being one of the coolest people 
they'd ever met. Can I he, yep. float something by you? Mm. So, I know a lot of people who were watching the Trump stuff unfold, and they kept saying, no, he's really smart. Like, he's a really smart businessman. He's, he's kind of brilliant. Like, he's evil, but he's brilliant. This is, this is what you're watching is intelligence. And then it became apparent, and it has become globally apparent afterwards, that he's not smart. He's just cruel and stupid. And I, he has I, I agree with you. Other people, other people kind of capitalizing. Now, yeah. I, I want to be really careful attributing intelligence, which I would regard as a positive trait, mm. to people who got away with murder. Because I think sometimes they got away with murder because of the ineptitude of law enforcement. True, um, true. Yep. But, right? So, if mm. you've got a person who should have been caught 20 years prior... Mm. Um, now, by the way, I haven't... I got the impression that Ivan Milat was on law enforcement's radar quite a bit well mm. before this oh, happened. Oh, well before. Yeah, yeah look, we, from we, early, yeah. early. But look, we've got a scoop for our listeners, Paul. Well, okay, so hang on. He's one of how many children? One of 14 children. Right. Now, that kind of upbringing, I mean, that's that's a cluttered upbringing, right, at, at best. Mm. Um, where, did they, where did they live? Where, they did, live- where did he... They lived um, in Bosley Park, which is a suburb of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And for our overseas listeners, Sydney being the capital of New South Wales. And they lived there for a while. You can Google the suburb if you want to. And then they moved, the family relocated to Liverpool. And the father yeah. had a market garden. A couple of weeks ago, I'm working... Um, you know, delivering antiques to one of my favourite auction houses. And one of the staff there said to me, oh, my mum and dad knew the Malats. And I won't lie, I was excited because I knew, um, you know, this particular woman had heard we were doing, getting ready to do this series, the story. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, because I have read hundreds and hundreds of pages about Mr. Malat, and I'm always intrigued about the genesis of, of the criminal. I like to know the background. I like to know how this particular person got to where they got to in terms of the, the horrendous, shocking, abhorrent, disgusting crimes and this particular person told me a story that and I and and to my knowledge listeners you're going to hear something for the first time so Um, this is a loose units exclusive as well it isn't exclusive and this is a Okay, and this will contribute to a more fleshed out portrait of who this man was when he was younger it will, but then you have to then take into consideration, but what about the other 13 children, boys and girls? Okay. Uh, so then you can say, well, okay. Um, because what I'm about to tell you and the listeners is terribly distressing. Yeah. Um, so the father had a market garden and all the children from a very, very young age had to work the garden. That's on top of going to school. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the normal, normal family things that, you know, and kids on weekend like to go and play. But the they were basically sort of eking out almost a subsistence sort of form of 
you know, survival. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've often heard the family referred to over the years as hillbillies, um, which conjures up all sorts of, you know, imagery. And it's um, also kind of a, I mean, it's also that kind of class warrior bullshit, which we upper middle class kind of types, you know, tend to do it's it's pretty it's a slippery slope basically going look they grew up in a poor area therefore they are you know it's we're not saying that um no. this is a this is a this this is the most outlier of outliers basically right mm-hmm. but one day the father yeah was completely pissed off with the kids he didn't feel or he felt i should say he mm-hmm. felt that they were not pulling their weight. Right. This ragtag bunch of basically waifs, I'd describe them as. And what he did to make a point to all his children, he grabbed the pet dog and he cut the throat of the dog. He killed the dog, the family dog, in front of the, the children. To make and hang a point. On. Is is this part of public record, or is this stuff that you found out? I, this is the this is the information that I was given two weeks ago by a very very good source, mm-hmm. ir, um, sort of phenomenal source, absolutely one hundred percent rigididge, and this came from her parents that knew the Malats, and this is an event that took place, uh, and that gives you an example, gives you an idea of the father. Of the kids, that is a terrible, terrible thing to do. It's a, and to be a young, impressionable child to see your family dog have its throat slit in front of you. It would certainly inform your psychology moving forward to some degree. It would, but then again, one has to then say to to oneself, um, yep. the point being, well, okay, Ivan Malat's gone off and done all these terrible things in later life although in fairness he actually did things from from the age of well 13 yeah and we're not trying to exonerate him no god no because god of anything no. he saw you know no god no but um look he he started to get into trouble and he was actually sent to a um a, they they describe it as the residential school at the age of 13 what's and a residential he, is it like a boarding school kind or? of just a place that um because he was showing antisocial behavior from a very young age and even his parents sort of couldn't cope, right. so he did this stint. But then, by the age of seventeen, he was um, he was in a juvenile detention centre for theft. Mm-hmm. At the age of nineteen, he was breaking, you know, break break and enters. Mm-hmm. And then in nineteen sixty four, and that's when I was four years of age. He was sentenced to eighteen months for break and enter. And then, after he was released, he was caught driving a stolen car he was sentenced to two years hard labor and then at the age of 22 he was sentenced to three years for theft Mm -hmm. um but here's the thing listeners and dearest paul and this is the the really sort of one of those things that when you look back it makes you realize that something was very much awry and that is that in april 1971 he was charged with the abduction of two 18-year-old hitchhikers. In 71. And one of them yep. he raped. Okay? And then he was not kept in custody. He, he sort of wasn't. 
you know, arrested, sent to jail on remand, waiting for trial. He was he was waiting for trial, but he was he was out. And then whilst he's waiting to go to trial for the abduction and rape of one of the two hitchhikers, he got involved and he was involved in a string of robberies and with his brothers. So some of the brothers, you know, they were they were a thick, tight group. And then Ivan did something that is so fascinating and to me it indicates a strong sort of sort of indication of of, uh, of guilt and he faked his own suicide did you know that no and he pissed off to new zealand for a year isn't that incredible this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. So, that's the theory, he, so he, hang on, he should have been... St- he should have been in prison before he could have done any of this stuff, right? Mm. It's incredible, isn't it? All right, so he gets back from New Zealand and he is hauled in and watch. I mean, he should have been charged really at this point. How did this get fumbled so badly and how did he not get put in prison for what he'd done? Okay, <clears throat> there's a very, very notorious um, and people will have very strong views on this particular person I'm about to mention, but he was a lawyer. His name was John Marsden. Okay. Now, John Marsden, I, we could do a whole series, not a series, we could, we could at least do a few episodes on him. Uh, and it's I kind of feel a bit, I don't even like talking about the person because he, quite frankly, uh, he was a creepy guy. Right. It's very important to preface with what I'm about to say by saying that he was a he was a 
let's say, closeted homosexual, but mm. everyone knew. And normally I would never, ever make mention of what I'm about to say, but it's very important for this particular case. And I quote, Marsden, he was at the time of the trial when he was defending Ivan Malat. He was a closeted homosexual because things were, you know, they were, um, it, was, it was different times. But here's the terrible thing that he did. He is, and this is so fucked up and, and quite frankly depressing, but the two women that he was charged with kidnapping and he raped one of them, okay, serious, serious offence. He went to a gay bar and he noticed, and I don't know whether he knew to go to this place as to what he would, you know, his intention for going there, but the two alleged victims that were involved in the trial that he was defending Malat, so Malat's been charged with abduction and rape, okay? He sees these two victims at this gay bar. The next day in court, and this is a closeted homosexual, he then outs the two women as lesbians to the jury. He prejudiced the case by making out that to the jury, I mean, that just kind of back, this is going back in time where the jury's prejudices and the whole credibility was, was under sort of attack. I think it's the most terrible thing and how, even though the judge may have said at the time that is not admissible, it's, it's totally out of character. You can't do things like that. The fact is that the jury, it's in their minds. And he and Malat was acquitted of the, of the entire kidnap and rape. Now, I believe that later on he expressed... He did. Uh, ...you know, guilt about having helped Malat. Mm, mm. And then he suggested that Malat had an accomplice. I know. And that's a, that's a thread, Paul, that runs deep through this story. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really intense stuff, including a defamation case involving the Seven Network. Mm. And paedophilia. Uh, yep. As it's a... Look, you know what? And, it's all, and by the way, this is all happening at a time when uh, gay rights weren't exactly soaring in Australia. So no. it's, a very, it's a very complicated kind of thing. So, mm. yeah. You're no. right, though. It is a... It's of the time. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, I just find it really kind of sad that someone who's to use the expression from the period in the closet, mm. then outs two women yeah, in the most odd. terrible way. Yeah, it's odd. Like, it's... in, you know, the media would be there. It's And that whole case, Paul, was basically forgotten about. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, there were, there were cases over the years where people were were um, attacked were kidnapped mm-hmm. were all sorts of terrible things happened down in this part of you know south of sydney people even went to local police stations you know one of the one of the the keys to this entire saga is a person where something terrible happened and this person survived and they went to Barrel Police Station, 
and they made a report of this terrible event and nothing happened. In fact, the files went missing. And it just makes you wonder. I mean, I was a police officer. I worked general duties. I worked at the front desk of many police stations. If someone had have come into a police station, North Sydney, Mossman, wherever, and reported this type of incredible story, I mean, you just wouldn't file it. I mean, and you'd certainly notify, you know, the detectives and you'd make a big to-do of it, and rightfully so, but no, things just... And I guess if you're a police officer taking that report all those years ago and you're still alive and I'm sure you might think, "Mm, you know what, Uh, did I... It's a a big call, but, you know, did, did I facilitate the continuation of this fucking psychopath that went on and on and on to do the most terrible things and also might i add factually Mm -hmm. that the the, every time he committed these atrocious murders he he became more and more and more comfortable with the whole process and he developed a love of it so the the so the malat family lawyer marsden who Mm. yeah he was literally the family's lawyer and he got punted by malat uh, before the you know the big trial, mm. but it's worth noting that so in April seventy one is when Malat is charged with the uh, the abduction of the two hitchhikers, and it's interesting to note that they're hitchhikers, obviously, because that mm. became a pattern for him later. Mm. And uh, one of them he raped. He got off from that while he was awaiting trial. He got involved in a string of robberies. With and I'm reading here some of his brothers, and that was before faking his suicide, and then he came back, and he, you know every, everything kind of, um, and that was all the stuff involving the the lawyer. But before that, when he was 17, he was whacked in juvie for theft, and then at 19, uh, he was done for B and E, and then in um, he was sentenced to 18 months for breaking in, right? Mm-hmm. And then after he was released. He um, was collared for driving a stolen car, and then he got given two years hard labor. And then, age 22, he was given three years for theft. How does somebody who is in and out of prison and then and then convicted of abduction and rape, how does somebody like that, how are they let out again and again and again? I mean, recidivism is a problem, obviously, and I know that people can't tell when someone's going to become a prolific serial killer, but God, can you imagine... Being a, a like a, a, for lack of a better term, an honest cop who was glad that they'd collared this guy who clearly had massively violent and weird tendencies, and then to find out that no, the legal system let him out, and he went on to do these things. How would you feel? But Paul, that is the system, and you can't just keep people in jail forever. I know. I Otherwise, know. we'd need a whole like, for example, Tasmania could yeah. become a jail, or you know, probably poor. Poor analogy, but I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we keep people in prison forever. I'm saying, what would that do to you emotionally if you knew that you'd arrested this guy to keep him off the streets, mm. and then he got out and did this stuff? Okay, Paul, imagine being a defence counsel. Yep. There are so many cases. I mean, look at look at the terrible string of of terrible murders in Melbourne a few years ago with those women at night time. These were people that had already been. It's not uncommon to be incarcerated for a terrible, um, you know, violent, for example, sexual assault. Uh-huh. You do your time. You could do 10 years. Yeah. 
You could do 15 years. You could do 20 years. It does happen where people come out and they just do it again. And then people go, you know, the public, we the public, we, we, we cry foul and we say, you know, how did this happen? But that's one of the problems. And I look, it's, it's an intractable problem. Yeah. And in places like Japan, you'll be surprised to know, and of course, America and, you know, China and Russia and some Middle Eastern countries, they just kill them. Uh, problem gone, but that's that's a can of worms. Uh, that's 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 the whole. You know, it's, these are very very complex things. And when people make sort of sweeping statements about, well, such and such should just be whatever. It's you know, it's it's slippery slope to shitsville. And um, but yeah, look, imagine defending. You know, these defence lawyers, a lot of whom in Australia are ex-police because they really understand the system. I know some criminal defence barristers and, in fact, I know judges and they're ex-police officers. Mm. Uh, and they make bloody good defence counsel because they they get it. They understand. And, you know, you can say to yourself, um, okay, imagine if you've just defended someone for a terrible crime and you've, you've gone for tooth and nail even though perhaps deep down you're thinking, golly, this this person did it, but you get them off. And then a few weeks later, you find out that they've done the same thing again. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think you've got to have, you know, it's tough, but, you know, everyone's entitled to a defence. It also comes down to what the person has been doing on the side. If you found out that someone was living in the hills, skinning animals and kind of twitching whenever people came near them, you'd hmm. go, all right, that's a pretty big red flag. But technically speaking, and I mean technically speaking, Ivan Milat, by the time he was arrested, had been working for the Road and Traffic Authority, the Roads and Traffic Authority for 20 years. And mm. that is a government, that is a wing of the New South Wales government. It's, mm. an, it's a New South Wales government agency, right? Mm. Yep. And they work on road infrastructure. You know, whenever it's the middle of the night and you're driving through rural Australia and suddenly the traffic slows to a halt because they're doing road works mm. for, you know, 20 kilometres mm. and the people wave yeah. past. Yep. That's, that's what he was doing. Yeah. And you don't assume that people who are given those jobs are going to string you up and gut you like a fish because typically speaking, statistically speaking, people don't do that regardless of where they're from and what they're doing as a job. But God, it is so intense, the fact that he was working for that long technically on the government's payroll, right? Mm, mm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Oh. Um, look, you know, there are still a few more victims, Paul, Yeah, that I think we need to mention. Well, next week, we're going to dive into the next... Because we didn't want to spend two weeks listing people who were killed. We mm. thought that was a really grim way to spend uh, this series. Mm. And we realized that in the first episode, we hadn't actually sat down and sort of dissected Ivan Milat's upbringing and the other things he was accused of doing mm -hmm. and almost certainly did do. So that's what we tried to do this week. We tried to kind of break down a bit of a timeline into his misadventures and the terrible things he'd done and how he kind of escaped the law and that little exclusive about 
about the dad and the dog. That's mm. very Paul, upsetting. Paul, yes. another thing I'd like to, you know, you said to me off mic, you know, Dad, look, do you have any other stories? And I, I, I know we've got some other sort of really interesting things to say. Yeah. Um, and you sort of said, well, do they relate to, you know, Malat's early, early life? But I would like to just give a, a, a partial teaser, okay? I received, and I've received a fair bit of, um, look, extraordinary information. And it's amazing how long people sit on things. And one of the people that got in touch with us, I'm not going to tell the whole story about, or his story, but he tells us this story which we'll touch on hopefully next week or maybe the week after. It's, it's bloody exciting. It's amazing. We have to be very discreet, not sort of giving away too much information. But it's 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 an exclusive again. But at the very end of this person's story that I received, he said something chilling. He says to me that his when he met his mother-in-law... The mother-in-law. Hang on, is this? Are you just telling the story that we're going to tell later? No, no. I'm just wanting to sort of give everyone. No, this is just a, a bit of a teaser. Okay, go on. Something quite ex- quite extraordinary. And this is just in the last few lines of the main story that we will touch on probably next week. But he said that when he met his mother-in-law, the mother-in-law said that when she was in her late teens, early twenties, she and her best friend one weekend had just finished ballet down south and Malat picked them up and they managed to escape and this is a bit of information listeners that has never come to light so it makes you realize in the world of true crime how much information there is out there that people know but have never discussed. Because sometimes people think, you know what, I don't think it's that important or it gets forgotten or things just happen. And then isn't it amazing to think that this podcast we're doing all these years later is still bringing up information that is, you know, fresh. It's extraordinary. So that is a terrifying glimpse at an exclusive we're going to talk about tomorrow talk about next week on the show but in the meantime thank you so much for listening to another episode of loose units the shadow files where i sit down with my ex-cop dad and we dive into the most disturbing true crime cases from australian true crime history now obviously oh by the way i've been, I've been pronouncing it belangolo that's State right forest is that it yeah belangolo but there's no a at the end it's Doesn't b matter. it's belanglo surely no oh, paul common usage prevails it really doesn't. Potato. It really should. <laughs> I rest my case. We can't finish a show about a serial killer with potato, I rest my case. So I will say this much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. We've had such a great time um, hanging out with you again. Later this week, as with every week, uh, every Friday, we do a spin-off podcast called Loose Ends, which is a very strange and necessary release for all the tension and trauma that we deal with on this main show so make sure you tune in on Fridays for Loose Ends it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us so we'll see you next week for more Loose Units I'm Paul 
That's John. See you later. Bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.